Welcome to the Big Beatles Sort Out. In the first series, I, author and musician Gary Abbott, ranked all the Beatles' core catalogue releases with the help of my Beatles expert brother Paul. In series two, we worked our way through an assortment of added Beatles goodies, such as Live at the BBC, the anthology series and the movies. For series three, we will be looking at all the post-Beatles singles released in the decade following their breakup. But for now, in this final mid-series bonus special, we are live at the Hollywood Bowl. Well, we aren't live at the Hollywood Bowl. We're no. actually recorded from Stoke-on-Trent in Liverpool, aren't we, Paul? Yeah, I think very much of my, anywhere I am is as important as the Hollywood Bowl as a, as a space. I tend to lend it that gravitas just by my presence. The Hollywood I've Bowl. constructed a acoustic clamshell design around me for this very occasion. <laughs> the Hollywood Bowl of your ego. Yes. Yes. Um, that Imagine. sounded horrible. I'm not saying you've got an ego the size oh, of the Hollywood right. Bowl. But, um, well, yes. that was the conceit I was going for there, but it's very much a big lie. If Well, in, by that virtue, my, my ego is a corner of a pub with three people watching. One of them's, uh, one of them's my mum. No. Um, okay, don't forget you can follow us at big underscore sort on Twitter and Instagram or email us at bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com. And please do like and share our posts and tell everyone. Um, Paul, so is, have you been up to anything so far this summer? I haven't spoken to you. Well, I've, I have spoken to you. Because, oh, trade secrets. Um, you know, but we haven't spoken on on record as on it, mic, yeah, as, as it were, um, since Paul McCartney's birthday. Have you been up to much? No, no, I've just been sleeping off the McCartney birthday hangover ever right. since then. No, yeah, not masses since then. Um, although, of course, we did watch McCartney at Glastonbury. Uh, we had yeah, that to, to enjoy after after our episode had come out, didn't we? So that was good, wasn't it? Yeah, I think we should have a little chat about that actually whilst we're here. Um, yeah. But we'll we'll get on to that. Um, yeah, I was trying on to the think. subject of live Beatles. Yes, yeah, we'll we'll build that in. Yeah, I was trying to think had we happened. No, it hadn't happened when we recorded our episode last. So yeah, great stuff. Um, for me, I've just been continuing with my song a monthathon. Um, so my latest should have been released at the end of July. It's called Systems Waiting and should be available on all the major streaming services. So. Please have a listen and a like and save and all that if you would. It's all linked in the episode description. Um, but before we talk about anything else... Hey, hey, what, hey, what? I have forgotten. I, well, I've got two things to mention Okay. at this point in these proceedings because it'd be weird to mention them later. I have been on another podcast Oh yeah. in the meantime. Uh, so if anyone is interested in The Goon Show and Spike Milligan's solo work, let's say, mm. after it, there's a brilliant podcast called The Goon Pod basically, and I was on it once before talking about an episode of The Goon Show, and I've been on it again talking about a record which was in our our parents' record collection growing up, which is an adult entertainment, Spike Milligan and Jeremy Taylor live at Cambridge University, mm. which is a weird mix of this sort of folk singer, Jeremy Taylor, and Spike Milligan doing stuff from his solo books and readings that I've known for basically all my life because it's always been there in mum and dad's record collection Mm. and so i went on to the goon pod to talk about that and that came out in fact the day that we are recording this so we will be there so if you look up goon pod you'll find not just me but also some actual famous people talking about the the goons and goon shows and um the careers of spike milligan peter sellers harry seacombe and associated people there but yeah my the most recent episode is me so go and have a listen to that (laughs) okay it's and also, bowl ego there again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's just a fact. No, it's true. Um, but yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention, and, and people will have seen this on online as well, is our friends in the uh, All About the Girl podcast, which hasn't been doing much recently. And part of the reason that not been doing it is because Chloe was in a quite a dramatic car accident, mm. or she was hit by a car. Mm. Um, her and her mum. And so there is a, a an accident recovery fund going on now to help her sort of. Because she's been in <laughs> absolute, you know, dreadful state for a long time. Hopefully, she's she's properly on the mend, and and uh, we're sending her all our, our best wishes as always. Mm. But if anyone wants to contribute to her accident recovery fund, which is not only helping her get back on her feet literally with this recovery, but also helping her to sort of put her future plans in in progress, it's you can go to GoFundMe.com and look for Chloe's accident recovery, uh, and help uh, a friend of Beatles Podcast World. You know, uh, someone who's who's contributed stuff that we've all enjoyed, and uh, you know, 
deserves a bit of uh, good luck. Right, good, good stuff. Thanks for mentioning that, and obviously go and listen to the the pod too. I, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Go back and listen to the extant episodes of All About the Girl podcast because it's it's really interesting on the topics that they've they've covered so far. Well, there we go. So there, are, that's some classic podcast admin. Um, <laughs> okay, well, let's do a on this Beatles day. Um, why not? And that is or should be the first of August, Paul. First of August, yes. And so we are rolling back the years to 1965, which I believe was a Monday, which it should be today if you're listening to this on the day it comes out. Mm-hmm. And it's, this seemed like a good pick, really, for an on this Beatles day because this is the this is a, a live Beatles thing of sorts. And so the day before, the band has been in the Savile Theatre, which is the theatre that Epstein owned in London. And they've been rehearsing for their American tour, which of mm. course includes the nineteen sixty five Hollywood Bowl shows. Mm. So it's very hard to find details about the Beatles ever rehearsing for anything, except for the odd day here and there where you go, Oh, they were just in the Savile Theatre rehearsing. Which is interesting given that their shows only ever lasted twenty five, thirty minutes. Mm. You know, what what were they doing? Were they pick, were they picking the songs then or have they got that in mind already? Um, you know, I find that quite interesting because there's very little about their rehearsal process anywhere. But that was what they were doing the day before the 1st of August. On the 1st of August, they were basically doing the one bit of publicity they did for the Help album in the UK. So Help comes out the following Friday. Mm. And so they need to do some publicity. But by 1965, at this point, they're starting to roll back commitments. You know, they're not doing everything all the time like they were the year before and certainly the year before that. Yeah, But what they do do is they go on to a show called Blackpool Night Out on the 1st of August. Now, that was a show that started on ITV in July of 1964, and it came live from the ABC Theatre in Blackpool, hosted by Mike and Bernie Winters. Right. And the Beatles had been on it in that first year, in uh, 19th of July 1964. That series ended in September, then it comes back the following summer, and on the 1st of August, the Beatles appear again and do... One, two, three, four, five, six songs. Right. And what's great about this is a bunch of them were released on Anthology 2. Yeah. As examples of Beatles playing in, you know, a live setting, albeit a TV studio. Yeah. And what's also nice is that although the actual full show, I think, is lost, the footage of the entire episode, the Beatles footage exists. Mm. And it is great because it can be synced up to this this good audio as well. So, you, yeah, you can go online and you can, on YouTube and you can find it and you get a little bit of a brief sketch with Mike and Bernie Winters and then they basically go, oh, the Beatles, and out they come out and they do I Feel Fine. Yeah. Which, to me, I Feel Fine, it's, they're sort of in this really weird sort of showbiz setting of, like, you know, sketches and dancers and things. I Feel Fine feels really sort of quite progressive and, and modern in that setting mm. to come out and for them start with that, even though it's essentially a three chord rock song with a middle bit uh but yeah they come out they do i feel fine then they play i'm down mm-hmm. and john's got the organ on stage so you yeah. can see john doing all the you know elbow glissandos glissandi yeah. on the keyboard like we were used to seeing him doing when he goes bonkers on shea stadium mm. then it has act naturally they sing act naturally and ringo introduces himself yeah that's the clip where he's going here he is all out of key and nervous ringo and then he does a perfect performance of Act Naturally, yeah. so he sounds brilliant. Um, note to guitarists, George has to tune down to a low D on that, so he has to change his guitar tuning partway through. Mm. Then they do Ticket to Ride yesterday, which is the that time when they do it with Paul just on his own with the orchestra. So is that the orchestra in the pit that's playing along? I think it is, yeah. I yeah. think that's what it is. That's the one where George does his kind of opportunity knocks for a Mr. Yeah, Orton, yeah, yeah. And then afterwards, John comes out and gives him a bunch of flowers, but they've yeah, and he's and cut the stems and just left leaves the stems in Paul's hands. Yeah. It's, it's a little Paul, bit of business there. Paul does a bit of classic acting. Yeah, bit of classic McCartney acting. Yeah. Um, and then they do Help, which John introduces as uh, our latest record or our latest electronic noise, depending on whose side you're on. Yeah. And then, of course, messes the lyrics up. And then like forgets half of the words. <laughs> yeah, as he always does. But yeah. people would be quite familiar with most of that because four of those were on Anthology 2. Mm. Uh, I don't know why they didn't just put the whole thing on because it actually... Yeah, it's, it's quite a nice little performance, mm. really. And then, you know, the moment the help finishes, the curtains shut, 
then the curtains reopen and the end credits roll. The orchestra plays a sort of big band version of Can't Buy Me Love and all the dancers and the other people in the show come on stage and they're kicking and dancing their heels up and the Beatles are looking yeah. silly and confused. <laughs> yeah, they, um, they, yeah they, it, it's a shame they don't... I wanted to see what they're up to, but you, you're kind of zooming out, isn't it? And yeah, and the They're shuffling are around and trying to yeah. do silly dances and I think Ringo's like barging Come, into yeah it comes down John. i mean so the people who were on the show mike and bernie winters who are always the sort of resident uh, performers uh, presenters you have the beatles you have teddy johnson and pearl carr who lots of people know just because they're a reference in the monty python communist quiz sketch <laughs> um johnny hart L- lionel blair and his dancers who of course the beatles will have known from being in um, hard day's night, hard day's night. Yeah. and bob sharples and the abc television show band and but that's nice because it's like a little um, preview essentially of what they're going to be doing on stage as part of their tour. So they're they're well rehearsed. Yeah. And then they do something a bit different, like yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just yeah, it's just great that it exists. It's um, one of the things I did just yesterday. I think it was yesterday. In fact, um, all my troubles were so far away when I asked people on Twitter if they had any favourite Beatles live shows that they would have liked releasing. Right. And part of the problem with asking that question, I realised, having done it, (laughs) was, well, actually, unless you were an inveterate bootleg person... They haven't really released them. Yeah, yeah, they haven't really released them. And most of the Beatles live stuff you'll see will be TV shows. Yeah. Which isn't the same as a setting of, like, a stadium. So there's not much to actually, for a lot of people, to actually go at, really, mm. you know. And, and some folk mentioned particularly the stuff in Sweden, which is really interesting. But I would say this is this is a good example of a little snapshot of the Beatles where you can actually hear them. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, it's good. And it's very much on theme with what we're about to talk about as well, isn't yeah. it? That's so, why I chose it, you see. This stuff doesn't yeah. just fall together. I, you know, we've planned this stuff. We've planned it for at least, at least since yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yesterday, <laughs> when all our troubles were so far away. Yeah, okay, so, well, now we've covered that, let's get on with the show, live Mm -hmm. at the Hollywood Bowl. And now, here they are, the Um, so no ranking going on today, because we've, we've covered all the songs before, so I don't think it's worth going back over what I think of all the songs again as no. as um, general entities, but just a bit of a, 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 a gentle general chat to make sure we've acknowledged the existence of this, um, this album. Official it, album. Official yeah. album in the canon of, of everything Beatles. Um which is good, really, because when you mention it to me, you know, that the, the whole conceit of this is I love the Beatles, Paul loves the Beatles, but Paul really loves the Beatles and knows all the stuff and I don't know all the stuff. So when you mentioned this to me, I was thinking, oh, okay, I'd, which one's this? I, don't, I didn't have it already. I think I've probably seen some of the footage. It must have popped up in, in um, the anthology, did it? Does it? The, um... Well, there's not much Hollywood Bowl footage. No. Because obviously the big famous live show that everyone sees is Shea Stadium. Shea Stadium, yeah. So I was, I was getting a bit confused with that at first until I... I yeah, because that is the, their most famous one because of the, you know, the it was filmed in colour. Yeah. And there was the, it was a huge audience. Whereas actually the Hollywood Bowl was the one where they recorded it. Yeah, they recorded or it. Or rather recorded in 1964 and they recorded in 1965 as well. Yeah. But but didn't have like an official film crew but there is footage from cbs news of at least the 1964 show i think yes yeah um, so which some people some, have synced yeah. up and stuff like that where they can um, and, but so so i didn't realize that and then i so i didn't know anything about the lineage of this and then when you do buy it which i did um it comes out as a kind of a companion piece to the ron howard film eight days a week which i have watched Yes. Um, I mean, film, documentary, really. Um, we'll have to do an episode on that at some point. Yeah. Because it's, it is a thing. It's a thing, but it doesn't... <laughs> to, to my memory, which isn't very good, I don't remember walking away from it thinking, well, that, that's nothing I didn't kind of already know or or anything that wasn't 
it wasn't anything. It was good, I, I seem to remember, but... Yeah, well, yeah. we'll have to re-examine it at some point. But I think the, the important legacy of that thing is perhaps not what Ron Howard has done. It's the fact that it ended up making them reissue the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl. So, yeah, so so the, I, I, basically that's where I got to, really. I was going to ask you to fill in a, on the details. I, I have a, a vague understanding that they recorded them at the time with... The, mind their minds on a kind of hot, uh, live album but that didn't emerge for quite a long time because they're never quite happy with it yeah and this is obviously a reissue is it so i don't what just you know in a in a in a nutshell right okay so what we've got here is a situation where the biggest band in the world don't really have a live album yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's the insane thing and a band that established themselves as a live act you know so the first yeah. part of their career you know, let's say let's say sixty two to sixty six. Okay, that is significantly a thing where they're playing live a lot. Yeah. To I'd say to sort of not diminishing returns, but you know, there's a reason they stopped touring. Mm. But when they were touring and when they were at their best, they were brilliant. Now this is having to put aside all the stuff like the Hamburg years and the time in the cavern and all those sorts of theatre shows that we perhaps will never ever know what they were like yeah. in the early days. But this is them as as a huge band. There was nobody nobody really got a snapshot of it. And what there was taken of it, which was the Shea Stadium footage and some news reels and a few broadcast bits here and there, didn't sort of enter any official you know, didn't come out in any official way. Yeah. And never really have. Except when mm. they end up stuck on the on the Blu-rays of, of like that Ron Howard film and stuff like that. And bits on the anthology and things like that. But bearing that in mind, essentially what happens is at some point Capital says, Well you we better record them at some point and uh, get George Martin over. And when they go to the Hollywood Bowl, which was a very significant venue in nineteen sixty four and nineteen sixty five, they record them on three-track tape, which is a very weird format mm. to put stuff on, with, you know, the view to being able to balance the voices against the instruments a little bit. Yeah. But what comes out of it at the time is essentially, in the opinion of George Martin particularly, unusable. Yeah. Because just because there's no other band in the world that had an audience making that noise. Yeah. It is like having them... It's try, like trying to record someone speaking in front of the, the exhaust of a jumbo jet. Yes, that was his... his <laughs> yeah. His comparison, that's, wasn't it? That's yeah. Because yeah. it's that constant roar and noise. And so we end up with an album coming out in 1977. Right. Which is baffling. Yeah, so, so, so all those years later. Yeah. But yeah. what's happening in 1977, and I'm just looking for my little piece of newspaper article just to uh, give you the info yeah i do my research but i do not put it in order um there's an article from the billboard magazine february 26 1977 and the title is the beatles at bowl emi mulling release and it says london unreleased repertoire by the beatles is expected to form the basis of a future emi television advertising campaign that's interesting it is believed, though not yet confirmed, that a two-album set of extracts from two of the group's 1964 concerts at the Hollywood Bowl is very much in the running for the campaign. Right. So nobody really knew at this point exactly what it was. So, yes, it talks about George Martin getting the tapes to, to mix. Uh, EMI denies that its plans involve those recordings, which have been bootlegged in the US for some years, but says it's still too early to talk about any proposed release of a live album. But obviously, yeah, something's leaked out somewhere. Yeah. So there's stuff going on. Um, part of the problem was, well, I'll, I'll quote this one. EMI progress along these lines could lead to a sales battle. At least one major TV merchandiser has been approached to release a double album of Beatles material made 15 years ago in West Germany. So what happens is the Star Club tapes exist mm. and the Beatles don't own them okay. and someone's going to put them out. Right. They fail in their initial sort of injunction to get them stopped. And I've got a whole article here about it. So this is, you know, King Size Taylor, these recordings in in Hamburg. And I think basically what triggers them going to look at the back at these tapes from the 60s is, well, we better have an official live album out. Yeah. To so, combat this notion of... 
kind of bury the bootlegs a bit, like not not bury them, but kind of um, distract yeah. from them and say, well, okay, but why would you get that when you can get this kind of thing, or to yeah to, to take the to take control of that kind of yeah that narrative. Even though probably I think for most of the you know a dedicated Beatles audience would have wanted to hear the Star Club tapes, hmm. um, but the Beatles were never going to put them out and still haven't. Hmm. Come on, Peter Jackson, do what you've got to do. Uh, yeah, so you end up like Sunday Mirror, May 22, 1977. Beatles are back, all cleaned up. A TV commercial being screened at 7.56pm tomorrow will launch the most expensive record-selling campaign in pop music history. The £300,000 campaign is to promote a new Beatles LP, The Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl. The money is being spent by the giant EMI company in a bid to sell at least a million copies in Britain. The record has been put together from concert tapes, originally thought not to be good enough for use, but cleaned up electronically. Mm. So, yeah, that's interesting. So TV, I mean, go and listen to Nothing Is Real podcast if you want to hear about, like, um, TV advertising being used in the 70s and how that impacts on the Beatles and Lennon in particular. But mm. obviously what happens is here, here is they seize on that as a notion to get these this album sold. Yeah. And if you look on YouTube, you can find that little 30 seconds of the Beatles being advertised on TV in the 70s, okay. which is bonkers. But just before we get into anything more with this, the point is you cannot now buy the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl, but yeah. you can buy live at the Hollywood Bowl the Beatles thanks to a Ron Howard film, Eight Days a Week, which okay. comes with... The same track listing, but four extra bonus tracks. Yeah. And that came out in 2016. And that was re-redone by Giles Martin using more modern techniques. And I suspect in another 10 years, maybe, we'll get another version of it. new new techniques. Yeah. They'll probably Peter Jacksonify it. And um, hopefully, if the technology works as well as it seems to be, and we'll get a better version again. Who knows? But, so, I mean... Go on. Sorry, go on. Well, I was going to... I might be jumping to what you're about to tell me, but... So, did they sell a, a million copies? Did it actually come out? What... What? Because I... So, yeah. I'm look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some squeaky chair noises as I turn myself around to look at my Beatles... Classic Beatles album poster on the wall. Go for it. Have a nice time. Uh, that's the sound of a rotated Gary. That's... Uh, <laughs> that's not... Um, it's not on there. No. And it doesn't... I've never seen it featured as a kind of... It no, it's, it it's been wiped to, out of history. Right. In it, the sense of yeah. it came out post the band's breakup. Okay. And it's a bit like um, a collection of Beatles oldies. Yeah. It, it was a, at one point an official thing and then it vanished. Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess my, my album poster doesn't have all the kind of the red and no. the blue albums and things. However, and they rock were and roll re- music as well. were, were re selections of released things from other albums and although this is the same songs it is it's, very it is a live record performance yeah. but yeah it comes out in 1977 it gets to number one in the uk albums chart okay number two in the billboard charts gets to number one in japan i mean and when live at the hollywood bowl comes out in 2016 it, that gets to number three in the uk albums charts people mm. want this stuff mm. and the reason probably that live at the hollywood bowl in 2016 does well is because uh, Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl had been deleted for donkey's years. I got a copy a long time ago, but mm. second-hand, obviously. Um, so I've got next to me... I only do podcasts now where I have two vinyl LPs next to me, okay. uh, <laughs> apparently. I've got my Live at the Hollywood Bowl package and my Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl thing. So, mm. But essentially, we're talking about the same album, save for the four, four bonus tracks on the new version and the cleaned-up audio stuff so can you can you vouch for the cleaned up audio stuff seeing as you have uh, both copies yeah although it's not like it's not chalk and cheese they still sound like the same recordings yeah and yeah i'd both records sound insane Mm. you know even though apparently the hollywood bowl was a good place for them to play because they could because of the design of the the auditorium they could hear themselves on stage but yeah. you can still hear this audience going mad yeah i think i think being you know lifelong beatles fans and having watched all the documentaries and seen all the clips that we have done of it, when i sat and listened to this um on cd i just 
I, I, I get to a point where the bit of that that remains from their cleanup just seems to fade away. You, you just you know, because you know, when you're listening to a live album. You just seem to to be able to to uh, your brain it out sort of slightly. accepts it. Yeah, either that or I've lost that part of my hearing. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, I know I know it's there, but basically, it doesn't because I know it's a live album. I just and it's a Beatles live album. That's that weird kind of homogenous scream that comes out of every it comes out of all the audience is just a just yeah just fades away really and you're just listening to well blimey they're able to actually get this music out amongst that i mean they must have been able to hear themselves well because i know they were good and i know they were they they were good even when they couldn't hear themselves but they do there's some of the, on this way they must be able to it must have had a better sound than usual i, I guess yeah well i mean one thing to, uh, that's mentioned on on both the original albums, sleeve notes, and the new one, is is that they don't have a, they never had fold back monitors. No, um, I mean we mentioned once that they played one show where somebody set them up fold back monitors, and it, they were blown away by the concept of being able to hear themselves play. Yeah, and, and um, it probably put them off more than anything. I would say if they weren't used to it. Well, it does take a while to get used to, to yeah. monitors coming back at you, but um, yeah, for some reason, apparently the Hollywood Bowl acoustically was a better space for them. Yeah. Anyway, so that they but they give a good performance. I think what's great about this is, regardless of quality, if you're judging quality as being how much screams you can hear, regardless of that, these are really good performances. Yeah. And even though I believe John was moaning about, oh, if we, if we knew we were being recorded live, we we always messed it up. We did a bad job. Mm. I don't believe they did here. No, really. I, I I don't think he did it. No. Only I think the only thing that happens is John when the songs become slightly more complicated and I mean that sort of in a nebulous sense, not technically musically necessarily, mm. but help is a more complicated song in terms of nuance and purpose. Yeah. And that's why John panics every time and gets the words wrong every time. Yeah. And now my life has changed in all so many ways You know where it, and but then John gets the words wrong on loads of things. Yeah, so like Dizzy Miss Lizzie just sort of picks and chooses bits and sticks verses together and stuff like that. And by and large, you can hear more or less everything on it. The other thing that disappoints me: the first solo in Long Tall Sally, you can't hear George's guitar; it's like hidden away in the background. But then yeah. when he does another solo, it's there. So yeah, the, I don't know what the technical issue was with that, but there's, there's nothing they could do to in, rescue. There's, there's some glitches in Rollover Beethoven, I think, as well. Yeah. I don't know if it's it's it was on stage glitches or recording glitches where that stuff sounds like it, fall, it falls out for a few seconds, then it's back mm. again. But um, but it's it's not much com, com, considering. Yeah. Well, you would think about this though. I mean, nowadays, if you if you were the Beatles on tour in the 21st century as a as a modern band. Mm. And you're playing stadiums or theatres or wherever. The mechanism of touring is such now that you basically take your setup with you everywhere. Yeah. And you guarantee, essentially, uh, I don't know, it probably counts for, I don't know, I'm guessing, 80% of the sound that people hear is carried with the band. Yeah. It's their crew, it's their desk, it's their foreknowledge of where they're going to be, it's their monitoring systems, it's their, all, all that stuff mm. is done like military stuff. For the Beatles in 1964 and 5, as the biggest band in the world, it was still just, this was well, what are, we get, what, what are we getting when we go to Shea Stadium? What are we getting when we go to the Hollywood Bowl? What are we getting when we go to the yeah. Gator Bowl in Jacksonville? What are we doing when we go to Candlestick Park? Blah, 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 blah. You someone, know, they, only, they only knew a certain amount of it, and the technical stuff was barely there. Yeah. Someone pointed out on the comments of one of the YouTube videos you sent me today um, of... Yeah, of this, um, of one of the Hollywood Bowl footage, someone that one of the comments was like, it, "It blows my mind how little kind of equipment and setup they had. They don't mm. even have guitar stands; they're just leaning them against their amps." And I thought, I mean, I've never thought of that. They don't even have the obligatory rack or person running on to take it off them. 
They just... No, no they haven't got any of that. Yeah. And it's... I don't think anyone did particularly. Yeah. Anyone at all. But they could have been leading lights in changing the touring system, but they didn't. <laughs> they At all. Yeah. That happens later. That happens I after bet. they've stopped touring. There must be you know, a whole... this, this, you know, the system exists. Perhaps people were reacting to the fact that it's like, oh, blimey, the Beatles stopped because it was like this. Yeah. Why can we? Why don't we you know, put stuff in place? This is where we need to insert the name, if we had one, of a really good history of roadieing podcast, which where people have poured through where these these things came, you know, not where these live tour crews yeah, kind yeah. of emerged I'd, I'd be, from. Yeah. Do you know what? I'd, I'd love to listen to something like that. Yeah. If someone did a podcast about the history of support crew road managers and stage setup and maybe there's one out there and if anyone does know of anything like that or a book yeah. things like that i would be fascinated to know because for the beatles they essentially had mal and neil but that's it yeah yeah that is interesting they so, weren't specialists you know a bit of electric electrical knowledge <laughs> that's yeah. that's essentially it hopefully we won't get electrocuted if it's raining you know that sort of stuff well, you got that from you can tell that even in the you know the get back film it's still like i'm getting a shock just what, just hold it like that. Oh, oh Just yeah. keep getting just shocks, keep, just yeah. to check if you're getting a shock. That was the level of knowledge they had. No, it's um, and it was so much harder with all this stuff. Then I mean, I, I know from a live point of view, it's they're pretty much still plus plugging into amps that are plugged in, and then yeah, but and then whatever venue they're at, pointing their PA systems at them if they can or whatever they can do. But yeah, when it comes to recording and stuff, it was so much more complicated, I imagine. But um. Mm. So yeah, so they set up these three-track recorders for these. So they did that both in 1964 and 1965. Yeah, so this is worth worth mentioning, basically. So the, the Live at the Hollywood Bowl, Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl, is a combination of two years squished yeah. together as one. Mm-hmm. And so it's the recordings from the 23rd of August, 1964, at the Hollywood Bowl, first time they go there. Yeah. Then it's recordings from the 29th and 30th of August, 1965. So it's a whole year. It's, it's not like the end of 64 and beginning of 65. It's the next... It's, yeah, it's, a whole yeah, year it's, it's another tour. Loads of records have come out. And... Yeah. They're a different band, but the, that's the funny thing with this album, is it sort of makes this all one. It does feel... Yeah, it feels like one big performance. I, I, it was only after listening to it I saw the years, and I was like, is that the year of the song then? You know, but yeah, there's a weird Beatles prism sort of effect in that. I don't know if prism's the right word. Perhaps something else, like looking at them through. All right, I tell you what, here's a good right. So you know, at the end of Help, in the credits, they sort of look at them through a diamond sort of shape, yeah. lots of facets. So if you look at the Beatles in 1965 through the diamond shape, they have different facets. One facet is them as a live band that's still playing a Hard Day's Night mm. from the year before. The other is them becoming the band that's making albums like help and moving on towards the songwriting that's going to take them into the next phase of their yeah. career and there's all these other shards of of beatleness going off in different ways um this sort of makes them into that one sort of nebulous mid-60s beatles yeah it's, I, I love the idea though that john in 1964 john's introducing she loves you as like the oldie from last year yeah yeah that's what I was exactly, yeah, you remember this if you're a bit older. Well, only, I mean, I think he's being a little bit sarcastic there, but... St- can I ask you, Gary? So yeah. I think we've got to tell everyone, of course, what you essentially have come to this new. You've not heard this album before. Yeah. What do you think of their stage banter? They haven't... They don't have a much... It's a bit stilted. <laughs> yeah. uh, Paul McCartney, I noticed today, watching both the footage from this and the footage from the... Um, the Blackpool show. Mm. He tends to have to say things twice when he at this t- period. He'll say things like, um, "So our new record, uh, our new our new record," and then John starts laughing and goes, starts repeating him. Yeah, he just re- seems he repeats himself and yeah. Then and they, they they only seem to ever say this comes from a record. This is the one from our last EP, but they're not very confident. They never know what one it is. Yeah, because they're in America and capital of yeah, mangled, like, mangled the ambles. What, what ambles? Albums. Ambles. Mangled the even, ambles. They can't even spell it right. I can't even say it right. We'd like to do another film song now, but from a different film. Because we've made two, you know. Who's that man on the light? Go away with that light, will you? Oh, thank you. It's also our latest record over here. That means it's a new single. And it's a delightful ditty called Help. Help. 
So yeah, no, I mean my, yeah, they they haven't. Apart from the, the those those well known little sound bites like the Blackpool one where he, George has got his little introduction for Paul and Ringo does his little introduction for himself. Yeah. Paul and John's off the cuff banter. Yeah. I mean, John John's got got some, hasn't he? But I don't. I can't. Well, remember. he's basically like, get the get that light out of my eyes, or he's looking at someone, you know, running yeah. across the. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he's he, you don't know what it is. Yeah, from on an audio kind of side of things, he's talking. Then he's like, oh, what's going on over there? Oh, I think that's quite nice, actually. That's an interesting aspect of this, yeah. of course, because there's no complete footage of this. There's just that CBS footage of the 1964 show. Mm. There's a certain amount of radio play imagination you have to <laughs> apply to it. Yeah. Of like, well, why have they stopped talking? You know, what are they doing? Yeah. And, and you can hear sort of a little bit of swell in the crowd or difference or, or a noise that they make. And you're sort of you're imagining them looking at each other across the stage while whatever's happening is happening. Yeah. Um, I, I, well, I'll tell you what I like about the banter. I like the fact that essentially they've got the routine of George, George introduces this one, uh, yeah. Paul introduces this one, John introduces this one. and um, But Paul gets left with all the sort of like, right, we've got to be nice and go home now, everybody. Mm. All that sort of, you know, his being polite, nice Paul type stuff comes slightly from this version of him mm. of like yeah this has got to be our last one i'm sorry yes you know we've got to go type thing yeah whereas john's stuff is sort of slightly more bonkers yeah you know silly voices and all that sort of stuff yeah it's, it's interesting i mean they're very much song 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 aren't they it's not like you know bringing it back to paul mccartney's um glastonbury performance from yeah but a few weeks ago in his 80th year you know now he he's the statesman of rock and roll isn't he he, he mm-hmm. has a story he can sit, sit and tell and he will and he will stand and tell it and tell it and um he's got some great banter now and uh and i think he's definitely not as apologetic about getting off the stage <laughs> when no. when he's been there for two and a half hours <laughs> yeah so he's just two and a half hours in the year of our lord 2022 yeah um and um, the Beatles did 30 minutes, if you were lucky. Yeah, and that's what we've got a record of here, haven't we, you know? I, I like the fact that they've made it. I didn't know until um, until ju- just really, to have, I mean, have that discussion that they've made this Frankenstein album of the yeah. two kind of... In fact, the Frankenstein song on it as well, like Dizzy Miss Lizzie is 29th and 30th of August stuck together. Oh, is it two? That's two. Yeah. Um, so that's actually 64 or 65, is it? No, no, it's just the two different days in Oh, it's 60, from two different forms. Yeah. So it's even, yeah, so it's, it's a bit, yeah. So it doesn't, I haven't broken it down further than that in the on the back of the uh, CD. So some of these aren't even from the same 65 show or the same, they, they, they're, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's a great collection and it shows what a great live band they were at a period where they really would have been, Forgiven not being <laughs> because of yeah. because of the the conditions under which they were playing. I mean, if they were playing in the corner of a pub with cl- uh, in the corner of a pub with three people watching them, and one of them was your mum, and you had recorded it, you um you would expect it to sound okay because there wouldn't be that interference from just. The, but no, they 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 really rock it, and they're not they're not dialing it in. I know yeah. that you know they say it like in the Budokan they were covering some stuff up, but that, by that point they were doing much trickier songs that were getting much harder yes, to translate. Yeah. This is their solid stuff, isn't it? The only one that starts to because they don't have yesterday or anything on here, but what they do have is which I wanted to mention specifically is oh, where is it now? Things we said today, right? Okay, that's the one that's the most out of. It's the strangest one because it's the only one in a minor key. Yeah, it's the only one in a minor key. So it's it's got a different. It's it's less rocky, less upbeat initially, but yeah. then it becomes. It really puts that song in a different light. It really works as a live song because it, it has well, that, that ebb and yeah. flow. I mean, that's the one on this album where they sort of it's it's newish to America. I didn't check cross check the release dates of when Americans would have heard this. But it, I think it seems very, very new to the, to the crowd. Mm. And it starts off in this minor key, as we know. But that point where it changes to the major, the midsection. Yeah. The crowd go bonkers. Yeah. 
And like you say, it totally makes this things we said today a different sort of song. You know, it's a song they're doing live where they actually, the middle section is a rocker all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah. And then they pull it back down. So um, it's amazing that they had the confidence to do that, that they took that out on tour in 1964. Yeah, it's a great, really. great one to see amongst the, uh, it's a great cat to see amongst them pigeons. And um, also on the live version, it's George doing the backing vocals, which I think is John on the recording. Um, a bit like George does the backing voc- the uh, harmony vocal on All My Loving because John's too busy triplet strumming uh, right, on okay. his guitar. I was going to say one thing that when it was when I was listening to it, and it wasn't a specific a specific track or a, just a general feeling of feeling like there wasn't as much harmonies as I as I would have thought. But then I'm thinking, well, I I, I think they're, they they're could, there where they need to be there. Yeah. But There's they've piled them they... back slightly, maybe, in, in places. Maybe. I don't know. I, I That might just be a consequence of the recording. Because yeah. I think, right, I'll tell you my highlight on the album mm-hmm. is Boys, Ringo doing Boys, yeah. because that's got their, their backing vocals on it. It's a storming performance. It's really good. Um, and I think it's really one of the highlights of the album. Yeah. It's great. They're all very good. They're all very good. But I can tell you this, right? Yeah. In France, in 1977, when the album came out, they released a, a tie-in single. And the songs they chose to release as the tie-in single was the live version of Ticket to Ride, backed with Dizzy Miss Lizzie. Right. Which is interesting. Um, I don't know that I necessarily would have chosen those two to put out as a single in. Yeah. Uh, to represent this. I think I probably, oh, I don't know. What would I have done? I would have put Things We Said Today out. Yeah, Things We Said Today maybe backed with She Loves You or something. Um, mm. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, there was, so there was a single in France to accompany this as well. I, shall I do some quick background on the Hollywood Bowl? Well, as, a, as, a, as a building? Yeah. Go on then. It's built in 1922. Okay. And it's used initially as a sort of community space for the, for the Hollywood area. Um, and they sort of... So it's famously, it's got this sort of acoustic shell design that we know, mm-hmm. that sort of curved s- ceiling thing. And they settle on the final design in 1929, which is the one that lasts through to the 21st century before they rebuild it. Capacity, uh, 17,500. Mm-hmm. And it was essentially sold out for the Beatles. So we're talking about some 17,200-odd fans, I think, in there for these shows. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's been loads of live things recorded at the Hollywood Bowl. It's such a significant venue mm. Like there's a Doors live album there. You've got people like the Allman Brothers and Ella Fitzgerald, um, Jeff Beck, and one of my favourites, Monty Python Live at the Hollywood Bowl film. Yes. Which is where I would have first seen the Hollywood Bowl in yeah. any format, because that, that used to do the rounds on VHS. And that's from 1980. And it's probably also the first time I saw Neil Innes doing music. Because he's on, he's with the Pythons at, at Hollywood Bowl. Right. Um, so that's there's a Ruttles link for you. Brilliant. But anyway, uh, uh, Beatles come over to America, and a, a DJ called Bob Eubanks becomes the promoter for these shows in LA. Okay. And the fee for the 1964 show was twenty five thousand dollars. So Bob Eubanks and his business partner partner remortgage the house that they sh- own. Right. Um, to put to get the collateral together to put to get the Beatles to get the Hollywood Bowl. Right. Uh, the show sells out in three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he gets the job of promoting them again in 1965. And then in 1966, they don't go to the Hollywood Bowl. They go to the Dodger Stadium. Right. And if you're so uh, minded, Bob Eubanks um, sells 
signed by him posters for the 1965 shows at his website. It's a website called www.bbeatles. I'm presuming the B stands for Bob Eubanks. Okay. Bebeatles.com. And you can go home, you can buy signed posters from Bob Eubanks, who was quite a well-known DJ and on TV and stuff like that. But yeah, oh. promoted the shows there as well. And so, yeah, the poster is a sort of group snapshot of them on stage. And uh, they're back. Hollywood Bowl, August 29 and 30, presented by KRLA and Bob Eubanks. Tickets are $3, $4, $5, $6, and $7 each. Um, which is amazing, yeah. <laughs> you know. I didn't bother to do a, a currency converter on that, but uh, yeah, three dollars to see the Beatles. What? That's insane. I probably would have bought you a well, I would have bought you a ticket to the see the Beatles, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it would have bought you. Um, and that's that's yeah, that's amazing. Um, but of course, when you pay your three dollars, four dollars, five dollars, or six dollars, you don't seven? just see the Beatles. No? Oh, yeah, you, was, was someone supporting them? Yeah, that's the thing. It, you never get out there this, do you? Is yeah, it, I think I've mentioned this before. It's always weird when you talk about the Beatles live. It's because it's like they just sort of come on for 25 minutes and yeah. go off, and that's all you see. Well, you don't. You go in at 8 o'clock of an evening. Yeah. The Beatles don't come on for an hour and a half, yeah. or whatever it is. And in that time, you'll have seen four other groups. Uh, okay. Of which I will run down for you now who they were. Okay. So in the 1964 show, if you went to the Hollywood Bowl, you'd see Bill Black's combo. Don't know who that is. Well, Bill Black was the uh, bass player of Elvis's band. Okay. So he was this, and Paul McCartney now famously owns, owns the stand-up. double bass. Yeah, the double yes. bass, yeah. yeah. Which ends up on Real Love, so that gets a... There we uh, go, link. But um, Bill Black's combo, in 1964, Bill Black wasn't actually playing in them. Right. But he wanted the band to continue, he was quite ill. Oh, okay. uh, and so they tore as Bill Black's combo, and... Um, uh, Bill Black died in 1965. Oh. So, but uh, yeah, so Bill Black's combo opens. Uh, or, uh, do you know what? I don't know the actual exact order of these. But Bill Black's combo plays. A group called the Exciters play. Who were, uh, initially, they were a girl group. Then they got a male singer. Uh, and most of their records were produced by Lieber and Stoller, who wrote so many of those amazing R&B rock and roll songs. Okay. And what's important about them is they were touring with the Beatles they get to the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville in Florida and the Beatles are told, well, it's a segregated audience and also you can't have black bands playing. Right. To which the Beatles say, no. Yeah. And stare them down, essentially. It's like, well, we won't play segregated audiences and yeah. we won't tur- turf anyone off the bill. But the Exciters are amazing. Um, the song Tell Him is quite well known. They did a, an early version of Do Our Diddy, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. You also have the Righteous Brothers, Oh, I've heard of that. Of Unchained Melody fame. Um, and apparently they left the tour before the end of the run because they got offered a TV show okay. uh, and also possibly because they were just fed up of being second fiddle to the Beatles <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because be. no one cared. Yeah, it must be disheartening. Yeah, and then we have Jackie DeShannon who is a singer-songwriter and she still now presents stuff about the Beatles on a radio programme called Breakfast with the Beatles who I think follow us on Twitter and we've a link to their stuff before hello um, and she released an album called breaking it up on the beatles tour okay which has nothing to do with that tour that she was on and no beatles reference it's just a, a cash in using the name there nice. well i mean she didn't re- her record label would have done it yeah, yeah. It wasn't a live recording or anything but she did the song um, needles and pins which becomes a hit for the searchers right and so that's the four people who were there on that hollywood Bowl show in 1964. 1965, we have Brenda Holloway and the King Curtis Band. Brenda Holloway, who was a, a solo Motown artist, mm. and she had a couple of really big hits, and she's still performing now. And the band that was supporting her and playing with some of the other groups on that tour was um, the King Curtis Band called the Kingpins. Mm-hmm. King Curtis being a saxophone player who you will have heard many, many times because he was a session musician. If you think of the sax on Respect by Aretha Franklin and the sax on Yakety Yak by the Coasters. Ah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, so very famous. Then we have Sounds Incorporated, who we've talked about before because they're from the UK. They were signed by Brian Epstein, mm-hmm. who did lots of backing of like visiting American musicians in the UK. And they end up, some of them end up playing on Good Morning, Good Morning. Okay. Yeah, so they're out there uh, with the uh, discotheque dancers. So, uh, discotheque you know, dancers. It just, it just, 
is somehow both an exciting name and a really boring name at the same time. <laughs> what should we call ourselves? The discotheque dancers. Why? Because it's like we're at a discotheque and we're dancing. <laughs> and a Mexican-American rock group called Cannibal and the Headhunters. Wow. I want to hear is, them. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, they had a quite a successful version of the song Land of a Thousand Dances before okay. Wilson Pickett had his big hit with it. Right. So you would have seen four groups before you saw the Beatles. Yeah. But you would have been waiting for well, the Beatles. At which point you would be fit to bursting for like a yeah. Beatles excitement. Yeah. yeah. It must be hard. I mean, I'm sure they, they... It's hard to tell, really, isn't it? You know, because we've got, <laughs> got any of the footage of any of the other bands playing. No, no, one no, wasted the, no one wasted the film on that bit, so you can't get no, a I think there's a, there's a little bit of some of the support acts on the Shea Stadium footage, I think, in the full right. version. I know the, but not much, because, you know, yeah. the film's about the Beatles at Shea Stadium. Yeah, so. I guess so. It's, it's not just, about... Oh, and Brenda Holloway. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, so we sum up, Paul, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's, I, a, it's a great artifact. Um, it's a great addition to the Beatles collection. It seems strange how it's been kind of wiped out. I mean, working through the random vinyl collection I've got, uh, there's the occasional live album, and there's a lot worse ones, even if you can hear it better. Yeah, um, I mean, some of those Chuck Berry live albums are yeah. ropey. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking free. Uh, <laughs> I've got the, a live free album for some reason, and their version of All Right Now is one of the worst versions of All Right Now I've ever heard. And it's them. And if anyone should be able to play it, yeah. Should, yeah, yeah. It's, I think technical glitches and issues in it as well, so things are cutting out, and with it being such a thin band. And this is, um, this is as good as... as, as as most live albums, I would have thought. It, it, it just has the addition of the Beatles scream going on in the background, which yeah. is kind of part and parcel of their sound anyway when you're talking about live stuff. So um, I'm I'm happy to be acquainted with it and for it to be in my collection now. And I'm not ranking it, but um, seeing as it's the only one of their live albums really we've got, it's um, number one in the live album chart. For me. Yeah. I mean, in terms of official Beatles live stuff, it's the only thing we've got, save some live tracks on the anthologies. Yeah. And, yeah, it's a bit mad, really, that when you look at the set list, the full set list that the Beatles played for those shows, what I don't know is, and I don't think I've got the beat, the bootlegs, oh, Paul, <laughs> the bootlegs, anywhere of these. Um, there's only, between the, the show in uh, 1964 and the two shows in 1965, obviously mm. the two shows in 1965, they did the same set list two nights running. You've, there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tracks that they haven't released from this. So I, you know, I was saying about I expect them at some point to release it again. Mm. Maybe they'll release it again as full versions of the set lists. I don't know why we don't get the 1964 version of If I Fell or the 1965 version of I'm Down, um, unless they were just, you know, completely unusable. Yeah, they might be good. But I'm sure they must be out there on bootlegs, and I just don't have them. So if anyone wants to send me them, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, Shelley, of course. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. It is fascinating, and I, you know, it's worth it. Almost worth it alone to get this album just to hear the woo that Maka does on um, towards the end of "She's a Woman." Yeah, it's like a proper. It's like the Maka woo noise. It's 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 amazing. Yes, and so is he. And we just uh, we're not. Let's not do too long on it, but let's just briefly cover his amazing performance at Glastonbury a few weeks ago. I mean, the the man is more vitality to him than people not just half his age, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a quarter of his age. I would have thought it's insane. It, um, yeah. I was just looking down the set list of the Hollywood Bowl stuff. Of course, what the only thing he did in nineteen sixty four. 
five that he did in 2022 was Can't Buy Me Love. Yeah. So um, that's lasted that's lasted its course, hasn't it? That is crazy. It's crazy to think that you, you, you're talking about the same person, really. And um, I just thought, I mean, let's we could do a whole thing, so let's not spin, spin off it in it too much, but just thought it was uh, awe-inspiring. See, I mean, we saw him live six or seven years ago. Something like that. And that was amazing. And then seeing him still, still, even then I was thinking, this, this, there can't be much of this left. Just because of his age, you know, not because of what yeah. I saw. What I saw was like, that's amazing. But you just think, blimey, it must, he must be knackered after this. Yeah. But seeing him, you just think, this man has just become music, you know. He always he has was. Be- I have become music. Yeah. But it's, it's brilliant. He's been in Liverpool this week anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, did he drop in? Not to me, no. To I think he did drop into his childhood home, ah. which my friend is now one of the custodians of. Uh, he was back for the Lipper graduation ceremonies, so oh. for the first good. time in three years, obviously. Good, good on him. Uh, he never comes to my house for tea. Uh, well, he can't be showing his favouritism with the podcasts. Yes, he can. <laughs> what What would I do if I was working from home one day and there's a knock on my door and it was Paul McCartney? Oh, I, I don't so, know. I've run I this just, scenario. <laughs> I'd panic and start playing in one of my songs. And then what, on the doorstep, I don't know what I'd do. I've had dreams where I try to hand him demo tapes because I've got this kind of urge to want him to hear something I've done because of everything no. he's done for me. You know, I was like, I, I don't want to just fan. No one wants to fanboy, do they? But no. um, <clears throat> I have the it's, it's but well, yeah. you've got to think about if you're going to ask him a question, what it would be. And Lorraine's my partner, Lorraine's question for anyone famous is what are you going to have for your tea tonight? That's right. all, yeah, that's no, we came up with one, didn't we, Paul? I can't remember. No, what it we was. came up with one about does he know the link between him and Phineas and Ferb? Oh yes, yeah, that was the question, is, wasn't it? Yeah, is the is the the chap who plays the voice who plays him in Nowhere Boy? Was oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and yeah. then and then I don't know. He'd probably shrug and go, "All right, <laughs> go, sorry, and close the door." <laughs> so I'm going to go. I'm going to go to a different house now. <laughs> I don't live here. <laughs> um, no, um, I saw once. Um, I can't remember what it was from, but I think it was a Lipper thing. A bit of a footage of McCartney dropping into Lipper to some of the students there, and they were each kind of being asked to like play him something. And as he sat next to a piano, they were either come up with guitars or playing something on the piano for him that they'd written. And it was only like a, a, a news article type of um, package, mm. so it wasn't showing full performances, but the the fear in these people's eyes. Well, and, yeah. And he was being proper like, you know, what you could do with that bit is you could do this and that. You know, I like that. That's good. But you could... And he, was being, he wasn't just being like, oh, that's brilliant. He was being like proper constructive. And part of me would be so terrified, but also oh. so intrigued, you yeah. know. But anyway. It's insane. Never just happen. before we uh, round off the episode, Gary, I have yeah. got um, something from Variety magazine on September the 1st, 1965. Okay which I want to mention a couple of bits of. It's basically, uh, the headline is, So what else is new? The Beatles spark coast riots, take home 150 G. The Beatles grossed approximately 156,000 for their two-night stand at Hollywood Bowl, which was completely sold out both performances. Uh, Britain's take for their two appearances, 35 minutes each night, at 17,200-seat alfresco site, amounted to a flat $90,000, under a deal made by KRLA DJ Bobby Eubanks, who promoted Bowl, was paid 15% of gross as rental. And so that's the money they sort of made. Uh, let's see what else have we got. Um, 20. <laughs> the language of Variety magazine in the 60s. As Beatles sang such numbers as A Ticket to Ride, Dizzy Miss Lizzie, and Twist and Shout, more than 20 femmes were treated for hysteria at Bowl's first aid station. Femmes? While <laughs> femmes? They've done French. Um, fam, yeah, fam, 20 fam, fam were, uh, while other sobbing, laughing, screaming teenage girls slipped out of sweaters and shoes and waved them madly at cavorting Beatles on stage. When Beatles left 35 minutes after racing out on stage, thousands refused to believe they'd gone. Completely ignoring announcements sounded over loudspeaker, the Beatles have left, please go home. <laughs> and there's a, there's a brilliant headline here, I'm not going to read the article, but it's another thing about how much money they made in Chicago. Uh, the headline is Beatles Boffo 250G in Chicago. Boffo? Good use of the word boffo. What uh, does that mean? Beatles Boffo? What's Boffo mean? Like, that's how I think it just means money. successful and good. I think. 
What was it? Like, or Beatles party? Boffo. I don't know. Beatles boffo, 250G in Chicago. Is that like boffo, like net? Like Beatles net or Beatles? I don't know. And I'm not going to look it up now. Um, it's um, a misspelling of Biffo, like Biffo the Bear. And they were all dressed as Biffo the Bear. That's a Bonzo's reference. It's just the papers uh, just obsessed with how much money they made and girls... Yeah, well, it's Variety, fainting. which is a trade trade magazine. Oh, right. And I'll give you one last headline from this very same magazine, same page. Okay. And the headline is, Dogging the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it's obviously not that version of the word dogging. Okay. Uh, it's, but actually, you know what? I will read this. In order to get staffers close to the Beatles who declined newspaper interviews whilst in the Twin Cities for their one-nighter, one daily had a reporter, ostensibly a waiter, and another sheet a feminine staffer in a waitress capacity where the performers were being served food. I think basically what happens is a newspaper disguised people as people working in there to try and get... Yeah. <laughs> like, Here's your soup, Mr. Lennon, and can you tell us, are you happy to be in Chicago? <laughs> yeah. Or Minneapolis or wherever it was? Yeah, Minneapolis. Chicago. Uh so there you go. Ah, well, very good, very good. Well, dogging the Beatles. Dogging the Beatles, a completely different podcast cosplay <laughs> yes, combination. Yeah, yeah uh, I'll leave uh, that to someone else, I reckon. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I think that wraps us up for the Hollywood Bowl. So just before we finish off, Paul, this is mm-hmm. likely or most likely to be our last bonus before we start in earnest on season three, where, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we are going to be looking at the singles that the Beatles, the post-Beatles Beatles, released in the decade following their breakup. So we're looking at the A-sides and the B-sides, aren't we, of their we singles, are, yeah. which gives us a And nice... that includes Yoko's stuff as well. Yeah, so, so yeah, it's only of a caveat. Do you want to just... Uh... Uh, the, I think we've mentioned it a little bit before, but yeah. Mm. So it's, it's the 1970s solo singles. Yeah. But we've given the um, caveat that... For John's stuff, we can deal with his solo stuff from the 60s as well and into the early part of the 80s yeah, up to the point where it becomes reissues or posthumous yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah. And by its very nature, it's going to be weighted more heavily towards McCartney because he put out more stuff just was work during course. that period. Yeah. So um, be prepared for lots of Paul. But in true it's style... It's my catchphrase. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Ignore me. Be prepared for lots of... Paul, is that your yeah. catch? That's your catch. Yeah, that's, no, that's not my catchphrase. That's awful. <laughs> is that what you that's say? Because I've put on a bit of weight over lockdown. <laughs> that what you say <laughs> to to enemies and lovers. <laughs> oh no! Before, oh, please censor right, okay. this rubbish. Sorry. Um, right. Um, oh no! Throw me off track. Oh yeah. So it returns us to our good old series one format of five songs an episode in a random order that we don't know until the week we're recording them or in preparation for the week what our recording is. Um, so we don't know what, what order they're in, but I do know because of the mystic arts I use to decide these things, what the first weeks will be, Paul. So if people have been very patient and good girls and boys and have listened to us to this point, um, they could, if you want, have a little teaser of what will be coming up. And I don't know this either. No. All so, I know is that it won't involve a Christmas song because we've extracted yeah. the Christmas stuff to do as a you know particular episode at that Christmas time. Uh, so all I know is that you're about to read me five songs that aren't Christmas songs. Yes. So, yes, this, these will be the first five songs we will be covering in the first episode of season three, which we will probably start recording over summer and we will start to release into the bit very early autumn, I would have hoped. Mm-hmm. Um, and should take us for uh, 24 episodes all in all. So yeah, yeah. a nice long run for season three to keep us going over winter and into the new year. <laughs> so the first episode preview, totally random, other than the Christmas ones that have been removed. First song we'll be listening to will be Yoko Ono, Yes, I'm Your Angel. Oh, amazing. Ha, a B-side. Ones right out at the top. Yeah. I've no, never heard it. Second song will be Ringo Starr, Oh My My. Ah, oh, yeah. An A-side, never heard it. I'm really excited about the fact I've not heard these, by the way. This is, yes, it's, this is a good thing that you've not heard them. tingly, it's making me like, ooh. Um, George Harrison, it will be the next one, which will be a song called Faster. Oh, right, yes. Again. I have, yeah, I will be able to point people to an episode of my old podcast, The Head Ballet, about, uh, with a little bit about that. Okay. And then we've got another Ringo, which is A Dose of Rock and Roll. 
Dose of Bloody Rock and Roll. Which is, um, yeah, we'll be listening to. And finally, we have our first Paul McCartney song, which will be Hi, Hi, Hi. Oh, excellent. Which oh, I, wow. I, don't, I don't know. I, oh, if uh-huh. I do know it, I don't know it, the title of it. So I'm really excited about this next new series, as mm-hmm. I have been about all of our series. But this is this is a very, this would be a different type of thing. I'll be rating the same as series one. Lyrics, music, production. Um, that's right, isn't it? Lyrics, music, and production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we'll be doing the same thing and ranking them all to find out my favourites. But unlike series one, where I, I knew probably 98.5% of the songs, I'm less likely to know as many in this one. There'll be some, of course, but... Um, so, yeah, and you as well. There's some that you have... Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I remain strangely unfamiliar with a lot of Beatles solo... Well, areas of Beatles solo-ness, mm. let's say. So I am looking forward to this. And also, I've never done the sort of reading and research around the no. productions outside of Beatles years. So I'm going to enjoy doing the research. Uh, excellent. Research. So... You, you choose how to say it. Research. Um, so keep an eye on our socials, um, to well, our social, mainly Twitter, uh, to see when we're coming back for sure. But hopefully it's going to be, I'd say... I'd say late, late September, early August, we should start to release them. We'll have a few in the bag for then, I would have hoped. Late September, early August? Have you gone no, mad? No, no. Uh, you have to, yes. So it's a time warp. We're releasing them three months before after before we've recorded them. No, oh. late September, early October. Yes. Let me get my, let's get our birthdays out of the way. Yeah. We'll have recorded just so we've got something in our in, in our back pocket. Otherwise, it's always a bit of a yeah. stress. <laughs> so, but um, yeah. So, thank you again for listening to us. Thanks for sticking with us, and we will see you back soon in the autumn for season three. Thanks, Paul, for live at the Hollywood Bowl. All right, and uh, we will see you soon. Goodbye, Merry Bowl. Alright, cause I don't care too much for money. I'm on again, bye.